This episode of the School of Last podcast is brought to you by Patreon sponsor Colin Street. If you'd like to find out how you can support the podcast, please log on to patreon.com forward slash school of laughs. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash school of laughs. We're also brought to you this week by the Clean Comedy Conference. If you're a comedian who's looking to get more bookings for corporate gigs, cruise ships, churches, colleges, or even clubs, you want to check out this conference. You maybe want to write for late night TV or perform on late night TV. If that's so, the Clean Comedy Conference is definitely the place for you. It takes place this year in San Diego, California, October 13th through the 15th. Early bird registration ends on August 15th, so sign up today at cleancomedyconference.com. And as a special offer to School of Laughs listeners only, use promo code School of Laughs to save $10. Go to cleancomedyconference.com today. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. That's right. Let's get this show rolling. Rick Roberts here. Thanks again to Colin Street and everyone who's supporting the podcast through Patreon and to the Clean Comedy Conference for supporting this show. This week, I've got a fun interview with Taylor Mason. I'll tell you about him in just a second. I did want to say if you are in the Nashville, Tennessee area and you'd like to take the upcoming writing class, it starts very soon. In fact, it starts Monday, August 1st. occurs on the 1st, 8th, and 15th in Nashville, Tennessee from 6 to 8 p.m., Class cost is $200, and that covers all three sessions and feedback on your writing and your homework exercises. So if you feel like your comedy is at one level and you'd like to take it to the next level and maybe even the next level, the comedy class might be just for you. Feel free to shoot me an email at schooloflast at gmail.com and ask me any questions you have. Or if you're into it, go ahead and hit schooloflast.com website and check out the classes link for more info. Let me tell you about Taylor Mason. Taylor I worked with probably the first time in the mid-90s up at the Vernon Hills Zanies, and he was funny then. He's even funnier now. He's been at this thing since the 80s. He was right there when the boom was happening. He tells us some great stories about how he how he kind of got started in comedy and then found himself as the musical director for Second City for several years, uh, how he went to Northwestern and his professors thought that he was just kind of pretending to be a student but some of that stuff he learned there has come in really handy especially when it comes to writing his comedy uh, he tells us some great stories about uh, opening for Spyro Gyra and Warren Zevon and all these other people talks about his days as a piano bar guy much like the Billy Joel song Piano Man just a ton of great insight and fun stories Give us a great story, uh, actually two great stories, about shows that could have gone horribly wrong that ended up turning around through various different techniques that he that he used to kind of bail himself out. So very funny story. Uh, the second one will actually leave you in stitches, as you'll hear. So let's get right on to it right now. Here's my good buddy, Taylor Mason. So I'm here with Taylor Mason. How's it going, bud? Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's it's going great, and this is a great podcast. I'm sure you get nothing but positive reviews about this, but it really is a great thing for comedy, and I think just if you're in business, and for, especially for self-employed people, this is a very, very cool thing. So thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for making time. I know it's not easy with the travel schedule and all that, but it uh, it's, it's you're one of the guys I wanted to talk to for a long time, and I thought, well, I'll get him when he comes to Nashville, and usually when you come into Nashville, you're back out on the 5.30 a.m. flight back home and stuff, so. In and out. You know, we're coming to Zanies, you know, uh-huh. I've been working that club. I helped open that room, believe it or not, Zanies in Nashville. And, you know, I draw this, I have this fanatical fan base that has no demographic. I know you, you did the show with me one time. It was like a Tuesday or a Monday night. They had me come in on the night when nobody else, they're not open. Right. Nobody else wants that night. But I come in and there's like 75 to 150 people. And they, it's, there's no, it's a doctor and his wife sitting next to a family who the dad has been unemployed for a couple of years, but they, they just can't afford to go out and do stuff, but I'm there. Right. So they take out a loan <laughs> and they bring all eight kids and they're sitting next to him. And next to them are a couple of teenagers who, you know, and it's just, there's no, there's no rhyme or who's your audience. I don't know. We just put up the name and <laughs> come to the show. I don't know. It looks, it reminds me of, uh, 
when I worked with Bobcat Goldthwait, he goes, some of these guys know me from Hollywood Squares, some from the Police Academy movies, you know? So it's like they're all over the place. They saw you somewhere, so it, it, it made sense for them to come out. But, yeah, I like your shows because the it is kind of almost all ages. I think you did, what, 16 and up when you came to Zanies or something like that? You know, and it, every show is different. Do you want to do 15 and up? Do you want to do 16 and up? Do you want to do a kid's show? Do you want to do adults only? You know, and... uh yeah, I think that one's probably a sixteen up, sixteen and up. Bring them in, have yeah. fun. And you started, you started in Chicago, is that right? I started in Chicago. It's, you know, it's a, it's a convoluted story. I didn't have the same, I didn't have the same experience in the comedy wars that lots of our peers had. My start in comedy, I was at uh, University of Illinois, and the Second City Touring Company came through Champaign, Illinois. And I was their opening act. And uh, the one of the actors, at the end of the, the whole night, I was just transfixed with Second City. One of the actors, Jim Fay, who, who, God rest his soul, has passed away, brilliant comic, said, you should audition for, at the Second City when you come to Chicago. So that's what I did. I, I went to Chicago, uh, lived with my aunt and uncle, got a job in a piano bar. We just... <laughs> If you want to know how not to do comedy, work at a piano bar for like nine months. It's probably one of the, the – here's the cool thing about piano bars. By your third week, your clientele is – it's the same audience every night. So you're basically doing the music for that 25 to 30 people. Neil Diamond, Barry Manilow. Maybe if you're lucky, you get to throw in some – current pop songs, but they run basically here, Elvis, Tony Bennett, and you basically do things to keep yourself um, engaged. Uh-huh. So you're constantly rewriting <laughs> the, the lyrics. I, you know, I left my heart behind Richard's house, you know, Richard's sitting there at the piano every night. And, you know, so I left my heart behind Richard's house, $2 goes into the tip jar. <laughs> You know, and so the, the rest of your gig is whatever, you know, they ask for. Do my way. Um, and now the end is near. And you know that I love Angela. Three dollars. <laughs> no, actually, just you're so um, I go to the second city to audition after maybe a year. I can't stand the piano bar or anything anymore. And the, the director I'm auditioning for Del Close, the director at the second city. And the, the game they're playing is five through the door, five different characters through the door. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no clue what I'm doing. None. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a doofus. I played college football in the Big Ten, for God's sake. I don't <laughs> what I'm doing. So I'm going to come up with five characters on the spot. So the first guy, I'm, I'm with paired with a girl, and she's waiting for me on the Second City stage. I walk through the door onto the stage. And the only person in the room is the director watching, and this poor girl I walk in and what I do is I take my arm and I drop it on the table, right, or on the pretend table, I'm improvising. And I say, this doesn't work. And she just looks at me with the look of, what are you doing? And I said, I, I bought this here like 20 minutes ago and it doesn't work. And she has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know And I'm saying? Look, my right. arm, I bought it here, it doesn't work, I, I can't make it work. The director, Del Close, blows up. And she, he, he's yelling at her, dude, say something, be in the moment, you know. So, <laughs> And he yells at me, go back out. And I say to him, does that count, does that count in my characters? <laughs> no, that doesn't count. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I got to come up. So I, I keep doing that. I'm totally the poor girl who I'm sure I ruined her life. Yeah. You know, I come in the next time. And <laughs> see, the poor girl is just, you know, she has no clue. Anyway, while I'm in my audition, Rick, I've been able to sight read music since I was probably 10 years old at the piano. So the direct, I mean, the producer of the Second City, Joyce Sloan, saunters into the room. Does any, there's three of us in the room, the director, Del Close, this poor girl and me. Does anyone here know how to read, say read music and play the piano? And I'm, I mean, it's Kismet, right? Yeah. Uh, I do. So come over here. Del yells at her. We're, we're in the middle of auditions. So am I. And she, oh, so am I. So I go to the piano and it's uh, um, the song. That gets me hired is called I Hate Liver. Oh. <laughs> I hate the lyric is I hate liver. Liver makes me quiver. Liver makes me want to curl right up and die. Gives me hives, gives me scurvy, makes my stomach topsy turvy. Liver makes me want to cry. I play the song, You're Hired. I get hired at the Second City. 
$257.89. I should have that. I've got the check. Uh-huh. Um, so for the first, I don't know, eight or 10 months at the second city, I was a musical director. And right down the street is Zany's Comedy Club. They were like a block away. The one on Wells Street right there. Well, yeah. Wells Street. And so now one night I'm, at, I'm in the back, sitting in the back at, at Second City and, the, uh, and the, um, I'm complaining about, you know, I'm not, I'm not working with the main company. I'm working with the touring company. And uh, we, we go out and do college shows and um, there's a show. We open a little theater that's still there, a really cool theater called Second City ETC. Yeah. Experimental training. Yeah, right. Well, I was, I was in the first beginning of that as well. Anyway, I'm in the back and I'm complaining, you know, to nobody in particular. Uh, you know, this is not what I signed up for. I went to college. And Ricky Uwatt is there for who knows what reason. And he's, he comes over to me, Ricky, you know, he's little did I know this would become one of my true mentors in, in the business. If you come down to my room, I'll let you do whatever you want. So the next day I go down to Zany's and all I've got is this plastic headed puppet a ventriloquist puppet. I have no stage presence. I don't know what I'm doing. But I, same thing. I go on stage and I do audience um, interaction with the ventriloquist dummy. And I get hired again on the spot as the house MC. And for the next 15 months, I am now MCing. Wow. He's in Chicago for Leno, Seinfeld, Richard Lewis. You know, all the stars are coming through. And I am. And I'm, you know, I'm, so it's a crash course. And I was working in both places at the same time. It was a crazy time. It was 1983, 82, 83, right around there, 81, 82, 83. And all my friends from the University of Illinois are getting master's degrees and getting big time jobs. So I'm smarter than they are. I'm going to go get a master's. So I go to Northwestern. I apply at Northwestern University in Chicago to get into the master's at Medill School of Journalism. And again, I get accepted. It's all pure luck. It's all, it's, it's just right place, right time. So I'm going to college at Northwestern. I'm working part-time as the musical director at the second city. And I'm working part-time as the MC at Zany's comedy club and all that stuff, all that stuff in a pot has led to the, a career that I've been doing now for more than 30 years. I've been doing this for 33 years. I've made a living as a, live entertainer writer comedian ventriloquist puppet thing you know whatever so that's kind of a a short intro to everything that i do no it's pretty pretty wild uh i'll I'll say this before i forget that second city etc one time i was on stage at zany's on well street and it was back during the uh perot clinton oh yeah yeah that and they were doing a big piece you know they had a big performance thing going on oh, with that's like the, the, you know debates or whatever yeah and some guy popped his head in the door after i got done with my last set on a saturday he goes hey you want to come down and open a show up at second city etc oh, like, yeah. well, you got to be kidding me he goes yeah i saw i popped in i saw you doing some clinton jokes come here they're doing a debate it'd be great if you just did those bits and then said that you guys were warmed up let's get going so you know, I never got to do a, a major Second City experience, but for me that was like pretty cool just to walk, like you say, a, a block and a half down, go in there and do your thing. And it's such an intimate space, that, et cetera. Very cool. Um, Jeff Garland did a one-man show in that space uh, years ago. And, yeah, it's, it's a great – frankly, it's very hip. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of artists in Chicago like the ATC space better than the main stage uh-huh. for a lot of reasons. But one of it is because it's so intimate. It just always – it's tight. It's great for comedy. The, the laughs are bouncing off the walls. Mm-hmm. And it's experimental. You know, so you are they're, – they're into all kinds of stuff. So how cool for you, man. That's awesome. That was, gotta, we, have, we have many links, you and I. Yeah, a little bit. Um, did you tell me a story when we were down here doing the Stand Up for Families taping about doing a, a – paper for college was it co- i guess it would have been college where you went in and wanted to see the books from zanies oh yeah well can you tell me that again it's because i think everybody's going to get kicked out of this well first of all i don't remember the exact story that i told you but i'm getting my master's at uh northwestern um which is a really really expensive it took me a long time to pay off my student loans and um so i'm going to do my my like thesis my study halfway through my, my the year it's a one-year program I'm going to do my thing on Zany's Comedy Club. So I didn't know that much about um, comedy. But I'm, and I, you know, I don't know who these guys are. I have no idea who any of these guys are. 
So I go in and I ask Rick, um, can I see your books? And of course, he's right. You already want to see my books, right? You know, right. I tell him I'm a student. You know, I'm a student at Northwestern University. <laughs> you know, Rick is like, the story in Zanies was, you know, it was a strip joint. And uh, Ricky goes legit and opens his comedy club and it, it later ends up running the comedy world in Chicago. He was the only person who ran comedy. I mean, he just, it was, if you wanted to do comedy in Chicago, you went through Ricky Watt. So, um, He'd gone from this kind of snarky business. Now he's legit and he's in comedy. And he, I said, well, I, I need, just want to look and see how you make things work. So sure enough, I go, he says, okay, I'll let you. And, he, and Bert Haas is the, um, the, the room manager. And, you know, Bert doesn't, what do you need these for? Well, I'm, I'm getting my master's. Oh, so you think you're, you know, this is, Bert didn't know me. So I go in and they give me like, not everything, but they, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys are making a living traveling around the country doing these comedy clubs. What am I doing? Right. <laughs> University. You know what I mean? It's like such an eye-opener. I couldn't believe how much guys were, and these weren't the stars. These were just like middle acts. Um, T.P. Mulrooney. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of, there were guys that would, Brian, there was a guy named Kraft. America spells comedy, K-R-A-F-T was his, his, his like line. Gary Kern, this mm -hmm. guitar act. He was married, he had a car, and he was going around doing comedy, and it was like such an eye-opener for me that I was like, oh, I, could, I could do this. You know, I'm, That time for me, Rick, was that, that time. Here's what was going on for me on a typical week. And so when I see that, it's such an... Yeah. You can, I could do this? And this is what I was doing. Like Monday night, I'd go to school on, during the day on Monday, and then there'd be like, you'd have to meet with your group. You know, it's right. people from like Swarthmore, University of North Carolina, a couple of kids from Ivy League schools. I mean, people, they want to go into business. And then there's me. We, we have a meeting. Taylor, where are you going? I've got a gig. <laughs> a what? I've got a I'm a comedian. I've got a, are you out of your mind? You, you know, I would go into, so I'd do that. Race on the on the train, on the L, the L into Chicago, Evanston into Chicago. And I'd do the Monday night show at the Second City. Go back up to Northwestern, study a little bit, go to bed, get up, go to school, go back down Tuesday night, back to the second city. Same thing the next day, except Wednesday night, I, I perform at Zanies. Thursday, Rick Uot gets me the opening act for uh, Spyro Gyra. Oh, yeah. You know, um, at some outdoor arena. You know, so I drive, uh, I take the train out to, you know, Poplar Grove, this big outdoor arena, open for Spyro Gyra, get back in the train, go back into Chicago, go over to second city, do the late show at ETC, get on the train, go to Northwestern, get up the next morning, go to class. I mean, it's just... There was a place called the Park West. I opened for, Ricky would get me all these gigs. Warren Zevon. Okay, so here's Warren. If I told you my Warren Zevon story. Uh-uh, I'd love to hear it. Oh, this is a good one. This is great. Um, I get the opening act slot. Warren Zevon, Park West, Chicago. Um, you know, Jan was the booker. Jam Productions in Chicago. And he's, you know, I, he wants me. I want Taylor. So I go and it's packed. 900 people. Beautiful venue. And he goes, I want you to do 30 minutes. It's going to be a tough crowd. I, you know, and I'm, I'm, by this time, I'm, ah, I can handle anything. I walk on to the Warren Zevon crowd. It's bikers. And you know my, my act. It's the difference between Count Chocula and Captain Crunch. You know, it's, it's, so I open with, you know, um, I think my opening line at that time was, you probably can already tell I don't have any stage presence, which would get a, a decent laugh at Zany's. This crowd, some guy yells out, I've seen a lot of comedians, and I can tell you already, this is going to be a long night for you. you know, <laughs> there's a Steinway concert grand to my left. So I, I just kind of sleaze my way, you know, like I morph myself into the, the Steinway and play You Can't Always Get What You Want. And they, they're singing, you know, can't always get what you want. Segway into Hey Jude. Hey Jude, and they're singing along. So then I do like a Chuck Berry medley. 30 minutes. Look at my watch. 30 minutes. <laughs> I got through it. I'm walking off the stage. Okay? Jan, the, the, the producer for Jam Productions is there. This is what he says to me. Taylor, that was the best comedy show you've ever done. <laughs> I haven't told one joke. I'm in a panic. So what I'm thinking now, Jan loves me. I turn to leave. And here's Warren Zevon. Don't ever touch my piano again. Oof, you know, and so I went from, from like, right. whoa, this guy loves me to, 
I just insulted, you know, a pop star icon right. and, and ran back to Zanies. And that happened to me a lot. I would do like, you know, I would be at the Park West open for Conway Twitty or Jerry Lee Lewis, all these acts, Bobby Vinton, and then run back to Zanies and do the late show, run over the second city and, and perform at the set, the improvised set or have to do the late show or whatever. So, and I was doing all that for like a year, year and a half. Then I was a full-time MC at Zanies. And, after, and then I met Joey Edmonds in Chicago. He lived in Chicago and started doing the NACA circuit. You know, I did, I did the Oregon. NACA circuit. I did the National Association of Collegiate Activities. Did you do that? You know, I, I did the I did college, yeah, but I, I never went through the showcase thing. I did the showcase thing for probably seven or eight years with a great guy, Joey Edmonds. Great booking oh, yeah. agent. Joey's the best. Um, much older now. I was with him for many years, years ago. And the cool thing about Joey Edmonds, there are lots of cool things about Joey Edmonds, but the, the nice thing about Joey was that he had been in show business. He had been with a guy named Tom Curley, and they had a great routine. This is in the 70s when comedy was just, the, the comedy club scene was very, very beginning, yeah. the very beginning. I mean, they were in the Neanderthal age. And they did a routine, two-man comedy show, Edmonds and Curley, about birth of twins and they're, they're twins in the womb, you know, they're swimming around and, you know, they come out and they're like, ah, and they try to get back. You know, it's a very funny scene. They did the tonight show with Carson. Oh, wow. And then, and then unlike most comedians in, of the day, they didn't go to Vegas and do it like Tom Dreesen, David Brenner, that group. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys that, that were, you know, it, they weren't like in the prior, the Richard Pryor group, you mm -hmm. know, that went to super, superstardom. But, you know, usually those guys would go and they would do like the um, nice room, Mr. Kelly's in Chicago, the Troubadour in L.A. They would do those size rooms because they'd been on the Tonight Show. Edmonds and Curly, um, this is before videotapes, you know, before, any, before cassettes, VHS cassettes. What they did was they had everybody, they sent out letters to colleges to watch us on the Tonight Show on this date. And they got so many bookings from that and basically invented the NACA. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they just did for the next five or six years. Edmonds and Curley did every college. You know, they were doing two or three colleges a day. So when I met Joey Edmonds, he just put me into his schedule. Now it's a decade later. The comedy boom is beginning. And I would do, Joey would book me. We would do, for example, we'd go to Rochester, New York, and we would do um, Rochester or Monroe County Community College at noon. And then that night I would do the University of Rochester. The next day, I would do the Rochester Institute of Technology at noon, and then that night I'd do Syracuse. So I would do four shows in two, two days on a Tuesday and Wednesday, pick up my money, and then go back to New York City and, work, and do the showcase clubs on the weekend. So it was not a bad way to go. That's and it was perfect. Just because, yeah. And it was just because I'd met Joey, who basically invented the whole form, the format, and he just plugged me in to Edmonds and Curly. In fact, I would work with Curly at Catch a Rising Star on a regular basis. Yeah. That's wild. I never really knew how that whole NACA thing came about. And that's that kind of, it was a jumping off point for me for a, a career. Here's another thing that you might find interesting. Just, be, just the way you do your podcasts and people that watch. Um, at, the, at Northwestern, I'm in the Medill School of Journalism Advertising School. I've got a master's in the science of advertising. And the professor that's still there, a brilliant man named Don Schultz, who had no time for me because he knew that I was I was basically moonlighting as a student mm -hmm. and getting ready to perform as a comedian. And, you know, it's 1983, and he he thinks I'm wasting his time. And, and I'm like, I'm kind of the class clown. And it, every day is, what can I do to just throw a joke in? You know, and it's, it's, it's not, Northwestern is very academic. I'm not in the, I'm a fish out of the water. Although they, the students, my fellow students, who I kept in touch with many of them, I still have a good relationship with them. But Schultz, my professor, mm. no time for me, except for one thing. His, he had a class on memo writing. And the only time I would get A's in his class was when I would answer a question. Or he would give us a project and people would write like three-page answers. I would write a one-sentence answer. And his whole thing was economy of words. Which, as you know, yeah. is our business. That is choosing the right word and getting to the punchline or the punch word 
as quickly as you possibly can. So in 1983, while I'm learning how to do comedy, I've got this brilliant Northwestern professor teaching me how to write with great economy and efficiency, and which has paid off in numerous ways for me. And here's a great example of that. Um, a few years ago, I've, I've been blessed because I've worked with these great managers. I've worked with uh, Rick Rogers, Joey Edmonds, Stan Bernstein, and Danny DeArmas, a great guy. And now I work with a guy named Tim Grable. We've been together for almost a decade, and he's, he's just great. He yeah. is, he's really, really cool. Um, we got a lot of these corporate shows and or stuff that we, let's call it industrial work. Although every time comedians or entertainers say, I'm, I work in the industry, my first inclination is to say, oh, so you're selling steel? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, with the industry, I never get, oh, so you work in coal? Yeah. Um, so I hate saying the word industry. But uh, we get TV commercials on occasion. And the last one that I had was a, just a couple, two, three years ago. I did billboards, radio, and TV ads for Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance. And after the first year, you get to know the, the advertising agency and the guys are like, well, tell us about, and I tell them the whole thing. I went to Northwestern. I have a degree in advertising. I'm a comedian. And they're like, yeah, that, that fits. We needed somebody who understood advertising, check, was funny, check, could write with a, a modicum of talent and efficiency, check. It was like I hit a hover for every, every TV commercial. And that's kind of has played into my favor yeah. over the years, even though the student loan, it drove my wife crazy that student loan payment would have to be done every, every month and you know I can't believe you went to Northwestern and it's costing every month we have to pay it was you know it was killing us to yeah. pay the thing off it, there's no way it was it was 1983 and I think for the year it was almost $50,000 so imagine what it is I mean that was the moon then, right you know and uh, uh, I, who knows what it is now it's you know, it's incredibly expensive. But that's a long answer to, to your question. No, I mean, it's, it plays into kind of what I've, my theory lately and the way I'm going to kind of approach teaching and stuff is, you know, you have the talent. Which it's talent plus, And it's usually talent plus two things that make somebody in demand and keep a schedule busy. So you've got multiple talents, but you've also got the marketing. You've got the economy of words. And if people haven't picked up on it yet, you've got a work ethic to where – you might not even know that it's okay just to do one show a week if you ever want to do that because you started off with 17 things a week going on. It, it, you're probably like me where you feel great unrest if two days has gone by and there hasn't been a gig or something. You're like, I should be doing something, you know? Is that you know, how? Oh, now it's just I'm constantly writing. I constantly, you know, um, social media for me, Twitter, Facebook, Instagrams, uh, all that. For me, I don't, it's not personal. It's all, it's all related to work. I try to put at least one joke or a blog or a newsletter or something on every day. There's something showbiz comedy related on there every day. For that reason, I just there is no time off. You know, I, this is what I do for a living. I've totally immersed myself in it. Which and I, I don't know if that's right or wrong because I know that there are guys and women very successful, more successful by far than me, a hundred times more successful and probably more talented, and therefore they can afford to work once or twice a month or they do um they, they especially folks with, who are celebrity or have just huge followings that, that and they they come and they do a comedy club on a friday night in minneapolis and then that's their only gig for the whole month and maybe they stop in at the the, the showcase clubs on the coast for a couple of nights just to keep themselves sharp but they don't do the tour schedule that that i do and i don't i'm guessing you have a pretty ambitious tour schedule as well i keep it to where i don't get too fried and my kids don't start calling me the wrong names <laughs> yeah i keep pretty busy and uh, i guess you can always be busier but uh, i wouldn't be much i wouldn't be much busier than i am now luckily you know i, I mean it's a little weird for me because i'm i'm probably more busy now than i've ever been and i've got a lot of stuff that i'm 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 working on besides just i've always got stuff going on you know, there's always like I don't have a TV commercial right now or a TV show, but you know I've had shows and those kind of things going on. It's always and and then there's the live shows and then there's stuff. I've always got two or three things going on in my mind, projects going on or whatever. Um, another thing, just kind of related to what we're talking about, you know, the cool thing about what we do is the world. The robots are coming. Yeah, that, that's just the truth. <laughs> and. The, the future is going to be creative solutions to problems, not just creative 
in the way comedians would come up with what we think are clever, funny, interesting, entertaining, and informative stuff. Our job is to come up with clever, entertaining, funny, informative stuff, and the audience's job is to tell us that we have no talent at all. Right. I've learned that many, many times. But the, the truth is that creative skills, which is basically perseverance and just doing it and making yourself do it on a regular basis, that is the future. Creative skills, are, and I, I preach this to my kids all the time, and that that is the future because a lot of the menial jobs are going to be replaced by automation. That's just it. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's a thing. Right. So one thing that that automation cannot do is think creatively. It doesn't. It doesn't have a soul. And I always say that's the same thing. My people who I say, oh, the government, get rid of the government. You know, the government. You know what? You might as well learn to work with the government because the government's always been here and it's always going to be here. But the one thing the government does not have is creativity. True. If one thing <laughs> the government is greatly lacking in, it's a soul. So um, that is, and that, and of course, to me, not to be a, a homer for my business, but comedy is all about creativity and a, a new way of looking at the same thing. So that kind of ties in. I wanted to say that before I forgot. Because you were talking about, you were making a couple of points. Yeah, yeah. Business-wise, that 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 works for all of us. In fact, I'm I'm going to the International Ventriloquist Convention next week and speaking. And I think the name of my talk is creativity, not because I wanted it to be creativity, but the guy that runs it, a, a wonderful, just a lovely man, Mark Wade, said, "Well, I wanted you to give a talk on your book. I wrote a book called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Ventriloquism, Typecasting." Uh, but he said, there's somebody else who's got a book and they're doing their talk on the book. So you're going to have to be something else. I'm going to make you do creativity, which is great because yeah. it's so wide open. I can, And usually at these, when I give these talks, I start with my little presentation, my 45-minute presentation. Within 10 minutes, hands go up and the questions start and I just do right. questions the whole time. So tell me about that experience because you're a musician, you're a ventriloquist, and you, and you blend the two. But which, which do you find more interesting and more rewarding or does it go back and forth between the two it really goes back and forth between the two i don't kind of here's the way that i write let's take a joke let's think of something recent because i'm like you i try to change stuff up a lot okay so i'll just start with the premise here you, you see those little stickers on the back of cars all the time the mom dad and the kids right so that you know you see those all the time in fact the last time i was in nashville there was a grandmother in a minivan and they were like she had six of those little and I'm taking for granted it was her grandkids so like most comedians you know you how many grandkids can she put she's gonna uh, you know she's gonna be she's, she's like the old uh, woman who lived in a shoe only this is the old woman who lived in the Subaru you know I'm just thinking of funny uh -huh. things and the punchline that I finally come up with is um, so I see this grandmother she's got like 20 or 30 of those little stickers of little kids we're at a stoplight I had to ask her I said I went up to her and had her open her window Ma'am, are those your grandkids? And she said to me, no, that's the number of pedestrians I've hit so far this year. <laughs> okay, so now, there's your joke, right? right. Uh, number of pedestrians so far I've hit this year. Now, with what I do, I have three choices. I can do that as a stand-up routine, and that might be the fulcrum. That might be the opening line of my whole set. Like in a comedy club, I might walk on, and that would be, Good evening. I just anybody see those, you know, and just do the joke, mm -hmm. and that and that might lend itself to doing an entire riff on grandparents or cars. That's kind of how I work. Let's say it doesn't work. The joke nobody gets it. Now I give it to the puppet. So I give it to Romeo, the uh, boy figure, for lack of a better word, a uh, eighteen or nineteen year old slacker. Uh, in current parlance, he's a cupcake, and has just he feels very entitled and should be given everything because. That's the way he thinks. He doesn't have any idea who he is. So I give him that joke and let him do it. Let's say it doesn't work for him either. Now I take it over to the piano uh -huh. and I do it as a, I might do it as a song or a parody of a pop song or as a riff and I'm talking and I do the joke. So that's kind of how I work. And it's all, it's all very utilitarian. Uh -huh. It's all very organic. And I write the joke. I do the joke. If the joke works, Great. If it doesn't, I give it to the puppet. If it doesn't, I give it to the piano or vice versa. And I just, and that's how I constantly it's a process. And I think for us, what you end up having to do is you have to learn to love the process of doing homework 
Right. And I hate the process. <laughs> there are things that I hate. Number one, I hate the process. And I always preach, love the process. You have to love the process. You have to love the, the writing and the coming up with the chords of the piano and saying the words of the puppet and getting the, you know, the, the double take down perfectly. You have, now, I hate all of it, but I always tell people I make myself love it because that is my job. That's the first. The second thing I really hate is the gym where I live because I could not maintain my lifestyle or my schedule unless I went to the gym. But I despise the gym. Right. But the gym is also another place, you know, for great comedy because everywhere you look now, it's become everybody dresses up for the gym. They dress up whether they dress down uh -huh. like the hardcore guys. I want to look like I'm – even though the gym membership is – you know, ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. It's but he the, the thing women wear is great. The pink and the other one is juicy. Uh -huh. so every time I see those together written on the back of sweatpants, you know, the, the two girls right in front of you, pink here, juicy here. Hey, we're making grapefruit. You know, there's so many jokes right. that come from just and a lot of it is, you know, uh, you're doing observation. You're just constantly making yourself think. But this goes back to what we were talking about. I'm always working, even though I don't want to be working. I guess I do really love the process because I'm, I'm always, even at the gym. It's occupying just, a space, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it, the process is always ongoing. And I, I, had, I was in the process when you were doing your grandma joke. So here's what you do when you go to the ventriloquist convention is you make stickers of the ventriloquist and all the different dummies he has in his trunks. Oh, that's great. Or yeah. all the different trunks that he carries on the plane. And you have these guys put them on their minivans as they're traveling around doing their gigs. <laughs> oh, I love that. I got that. And then, and then earlier I was in the, in the process with your, um, your piano thing where it was just a grueling experience. And so you can invent grueling pianos instead of dueling pianos. Oh, grueling pianos. And you have two guys who just hate their job going back and forth. Oh, that, that's great. You know, I do a, uh, and that reminds me, I, I work for Disney a lot. I do a lot of cruises for Disney. And I've been lately doing a blues version, a bitter blues version of Hi Ho, Hi Ho. It's off to work. We go, which is, you know, which is this lovely, you know, Hi Ho, Hi Ho, Hi Ho, Hi Ho. But think of it as Hi Ho. <laughs> <laughs> it's a killer bit, you know, all because all the parents are like, ah, you know. And I do it like at the end of the week, you know. Uh, so I know you're getting ready to go back to work. Oh, here's a song for you guys. Hi Ho. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> no! It's off to work. I got you know. It's perfect for like a Tom Waits blues, right? Rock, you know, bitter, angry song. So I, but it's that's again. It's always the process. You're always looking for where the funny is. Can you tell me a, a quick story of where you you either got into the middle of a, especially a corporate event and maybe uh -huh. took a wrong turn? I have a great story from um, Jeff Allen where he was doing a. A Sam's Club conference, and he. Oh, actually, I know. I listen. I know that story. Yeah, you have something that falls in that kind of. And that, that that actually blew a lot of stuff for me, you know, late down the road. So thank you, Jeff. That's right. You guys yeah. have both have got Tim. Tim helps both you guys out, right? Right, so. exactly. And I can't remember the client, but it was <laughs> poor Jeff. You know, Jeff, and he'll tell you this. Yeah, it, it's A to Z. You know, if he gets off the script, he'll tell you this. Then. Anything can happen. He's kind of Donald Trumpian in his, his comedy because he's got, you know, he's this brilliant stand-up comedy, but it's all very, he's a wordsmith. Mm -hmm. You know, he's Seinfeldish because it's, it's perfectly written and perfectly executed. A Jeff Allen show, there is no room for any errors. There's no, no errors. But when he gets off script, that's when, ah, anything can happen. All right. So script was working for, he's working for Sam's Club, which is going to be this big client. We're going to all do a bunch of work for Sam's Club. But it said Costco, right? right. The wife and I go to Costco. And they're all boo. Yeah. Okay. I haven't had an experience, but I did, I've done a ton of corporate. My favorite corporate line is Andy Kindler's, which is where I can't remember where I saw him, but uh, we're talking about corporate gigs. And I just gotten a big money corporate gig. And he goes, I just did one for 20 grand. And, you know, we're all like, wow, 20 grand. And Andy goes, 10 minutes into the set, this is what I was thinking 20 grand, and it's still not enough. <laughs> <laughs> because those corporate gigs can be – here's what I do for corporate gigs. I always write mm -hmm. stuff just for them. I would say – now, you don't get to try it out. You've got one night, and I do everything from a, 
you know, a $500 corporate gig to a $10,000, you know, I, I think I've done a couple of huge, like $20,000 corporate gigs. I'm not bragging. I just, for whatever reason, I got, you know, I was there for two days. I'm seeing, and I'm, you know, whatever. All right. But I always write like 10 or 20 bits or songs or, you know, stuff the puppet is going to say, or I'm going to do a stand up that is tailored directly to my client. It's not even about the laugh because you don't get to try it out. You just think it's funny. You're going to, and you put on your notes and you say it during, but what I found in the end, a lot of times is people say, I really love the way that you took the time to mm-hmm. understand us. And uh, sometimes they'll say, do you work here? You know, like people from the, the gig, Hey, where do you work? What division are you in? Right. Cause and you I, nailed it so good. Exactly. Um, I, I'm in, um, I'm in human resources. Oh, I'm going to come down there. You guys are all, you know, yeah, stop on back. You know, um, that's happened a lot. I guess for me that I've had, I probably do 30, 20 to 30 corporate gigs a year, ranging in price from every possible, uh, you know, you fly in, you do the corporate gig and then you fly out. For me, I never know. You don't know what you're going to get. Right. Earlier this spring, I did one for the coal industry. Okay. You know, we live, it's tough to be a comedian right now because political correctness is off the, is just a comedian's worst nightmare. It's just, it's, it's very hard to deal with. Plus, everything is political now. So you can't, almost everything you say can be taken the wrong way. So we get this gig, Grable calls me, yeah, I got a coal industry, New York City, Hilton, great, good money, you know, it's like big money, it's a, like a Tuesday night, but it's the coal industry, which is going through a very difficult time right now. So do I want to do the coal industry? What the heck, let's do it, I'm going to do it. So I get there, write my jokes for the coal industry, it's all men drinking and all, you know, everything, as you're walking through the room around, you can hear them. I don't know what I'm going to do next year. Um, yeah, we're going out of business. Stratford just, they just closed Stratford. <laughs> this is, this is going to be my audience. They want an hour. Oh. So, <laughs> so, I, you know, I say to the, the promoter, I'm mean, not the promoter, the guy that's there, you know, hey, how are you? And usually the people that, hey, we saw your video or you were recommended by so-and-so, they saw you on TV or we've loved this and we, that's, you know, not this night. I don't know if you can tell, but uh, we're a pretty, de- you know, I don't know if you can tell, but we're a pretty department. <laughs> 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 this is the group I'm going to work for. Yeah, put the gun down. I can tell. <laughs> so I go on. Now, another fortunate thing about what I do is I have music, I have stand-up, and I have puppets. And, the, you know, I'm here, what I want to do is I'm going to try to be funny. If I can't be funny, I'm going to be really entertaining. If I can't be entertaining, I'm going to be informative. If I can't be informative, then I'm just going to talk for an hour, and then I'll leave. Right. And I can tell this is going to be the fourth <laughs> going to be talk for an hour, and then I'll leave. So I go on. Hey, guys, how are you? Nothing. And you can tell right from the start. They're not into it. They're not talking, but they're barely paying attention. I go over to the piano. They've got a, a, a the, the tuner came in and tuned the Steinway Grand at the Hilton downtown New York. Play the piano, nothing. Go back to the microphone, nothing. Get the puppet out, nothing. So what do you do? I bring a guy up out of you. Of course, you bring a guy up out of the audience. I mean, I'm ten minutes into the set. I've already done all. I've done the. Yeah. Stand, I've done the music. I've done the puppets. I've got nothing. I've still got almost 45 minutes to go. So I bring a guy out of the audience. He gets to the stage. He's plastered. He is drunk as he can possibly be. So I do the thing where I give him the puppet, and that goes incredibly well. So I've got a Donald Trump lookalike puppet. So now what I do with this one guy, and he's tall. He's like much taller than I am, and he's drunk. I just give him my puppets. You know, I give him another puppet, and this kills. And it gets rid of about a half an hour. Right. So we have him go sit down. I've only got 15 minutes, and I've got him in the palm of my hand. Now I just walk out without the microphone. I just walk through the crowd, the crowd, and I do, um, where are you from? What do you do? And uh, that was my show. That's how I got through that corporate show. And when that was done, they told me it was great. There you and go. They were coming up to me, you know, guys, as I'm walking through the lobby, hey, man, that was great. I was really depressed. Thanks. You know, so I don't really get nervous I, I get that feeling of, 
for me, it's not nervous. I'm not, and I'm, I don't feel like, oh, I'm dying. What I feel like is, man, they're paying me a lot of money. I want to give them what they paid for, but this is just going to be such a hard thing. But I just keep, I just figure out a way to keep going. I've got another great story about the puppets for you. This yeah. is a, one of my favorite. You can write all the jokes you want, but the really fun stuff is I'm working at, um, it's in Columbia, Missouri. Freddie is the booker. I've worked for him for many years. Deja vu. Deja vu. I'm working for Freddie. Um, Freddie doesn't run the club or he's not really involved with the club anymore, but he books me in there. You know, so this is about a year ago and maybe two years ago. So I'm doing, and it's a rough crowd. It's a, it's a, it's a drunk, uh, kind of a, um, there's college students, but there's local people from central Missouri. And it's, it's, you gotta be, you know, it's two shows, the Friday, second show is really tough. And, but it's a comedy club and it's good money and it's packed. Freddie's selling it out. And um, so I go on and I'm doing my bit with the audience. Now, before, between shows, I went for a run. I did about maybe a six mile run. I, there's a, a stairwell in the back of the room mm -hmm. and I kind of throw my clothes down there, come back and I'm putting my clothes back on and my jeans are really tight. And I mean, I'm like, I can't believe I've gained this much weight. You know, I, I don't look at the, in, in the, you know, I'm the blue jeans, right? So I'm just pulling my, and then, uh, they are, they're not skin tight. They're like paint, but I get them on, barely get them buttoned. I go on stage and I'm doing the set. And the 45 minute mark, I bring people up onto the stage. I'm going to do my big closer with um, three people on stage and each one has a puppet. I kneel down in front of a girl who's got one of the puppets on her lap and the pants rip from the inseam with my crotch all the way down my leg. The problem is that they were so tight when I was putting them on, I didn't put on any underwear. Oh. <laughs> I just figured, you know, I got to get these pants on. I got to go on. The gig's going to start. So I'm up there now, and I am literally exposed to the planet. And this is the age of cell phones. People. Yeah. But I've got my back to the audience, and the girls, the puppet is blocking the girl's view of me, and I'm, my back is to the audience, so nobody can see what's going on. The problem, of course, is I've got 15 minutes to go, and I'm literally exposed. And this is the age of all it would take is one person to shoot that, go viral, my career is over. I'm thinking all this as I'm doing my set. <laughs> There's a black plastic uh, garbage bag, a giant one that the puppets fit in so they don't get wet when they're in the bag. So I, I slowly grab, as I'm talking, working with the people with the puppets, I grab the bag and cover myself. <laughs> <laughs> do the set, have everybody put their puppets down, stand up, with, and I'm holding the bag in front of my pants. I've got 15 minutes to go. I close the set with stand up, holding the bag in front of my, pa my pants. The show ends. I walk off, you know, and uh, nobody says anything except at the, after everybody's la left, I hear one of the waitresses, my pants are so huge, I must be losing a lot of weight. <laughs> She had come back. She had come back at the same time I did and just thrown on the first pair of jeans that she saw in the stairwell, which was mine. That's great. And I am wearing a girl's pair. <laughs> so, of course, I have to buy her a new pair. I mean, I felt awful. I, I had to buy her a pair of blue jeans. But I came that close to, be, to my career being over because that, you would never be able to recover. How can you recover from that? No, you it's... never recover from that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Man, that's, uh, I think we should leave it at that because I, I know I could talk to you for 10 hours. I know you've been traveling. That's a great story, and I, I don't have a, a topper for, for that. <laughs> well, but, but for your audience and for the people who watch the show, we covered a lot, you know, um, which is a good thing. That sounds great. Thanks again for taking some time. Oh, Rick, you're a great guy, you know, and uh, I admire you. You're an inspiration to many of us, so thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Taylor. I know I did and laughed uh, pretty hard several times. Great story there in Columbia, Missouri, and some of the other stories, too. Just just too fun. If you're a Patreon supporter, you'll get to hear a bonus mini-episode with Taylor Mason coming out 
next week, and that'll be in the Patreon feed. If you're not sure what this Patreon talk is all about, feel free to check out schooloflast.com forward slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can learn all about what happens when you support the podcast. Lots of good things happen, including Google Hangouts. And if you are in the Google Hangout group, that's the people that are supporting the podcast at $7 a month or greater, uh, our next Hangout will be on August 20th, that's Saturday afternoon, August 20th, Central Time, 1 to 2 p.m. So make sure that you uh, let me know you want to be in on that, and I'll send you the Google invite. What happens with that Google invite? We go over the work that we're doing, the performances we're having, and also all the assignments, challenges that they are given through Club 52, which also happens at the $7 level. Uh, Club 52, in a nutshell, is a weekly challenge for you to look at the way you're performing and marketing yourself and branding yourself and tweaking it to make sure all things align so you get the maximum out of the time you spend doing stand-up comedy. And that should help several of the people that are currently in the Google Hangout take their shows to another level. So it's all about leveling up if you haven't caught that today. If your comedy is at one level and you want to take it to another level, and maybe even this level, it's time to join in Club 52 and Patreon and all that it entails. And boom, we just got another text message right there. It looks like another person has joined in. So what a coincidence. Thanks again to Colin Street and everyone who's supporting the podcast through Patreon and to the Clean Comedy Conference, which takes place in San Diego, California. If you've never been, you got to go. If you've been there, you got to go back October 13th through the 15th, 2016. There's an old adage in comedy that clean is green, and that means clean comedy plays everywhere, and clean comedy pays everywhere. At this conference, you're going to learn from professional comedians and bookers such as Eddie Brill, who selected the comics for the David Letterman Show and also warmed up the audience for every episode for many, many years. You're going to hear from Jimmy Brogan, who helped book and he wrote and performed for the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. We're going to hear from Charlene May, Amy Piddle, Tony Calabri, Scott Wood, many others. They'll all address the uh, different ways to navigate the challenges of making money as a clean comedian. And in addition to working at clean comedy venues, a lot of these speakers, all these panelists, have written for TV, have booked clubs or colleges or churches or cruise ships and late night. So you're going to know exactly what they know. They're going to share everything, and it's going to be a great, great time. The theme for this year's conference is Clean Isn't a Dirty Word. Come out and see why for yourself. Early bird registration ends August 15th, so sign up today at cleancomedyconference.com. And as a thank you to School of Laughs listeners, use promo code School of Laughs for a special $10 discount. Go to cleancomedyconference.com today. All right, thanks for listening all the way through. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.